Welcome to the P3 Podcast. The Pronoctis Performance Podcast is the place to be if you're interested in topics such as mindset, coaching, personal development, elite performance, and leadership development. Hello, and, and thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, it's great to have you here, really. We're really, really fortunate to have Jane and Nathan as our guests today. Jane's uh, an award-winning psychologist and executive coach, and uh, one of her claims to fame, if she, if she wouldn't say it herself, is that she's actually part of a, an Forbes program, which is by invitation only, Jane, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm just Nathan, to myself. It, it certainly is, Phil, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Nath, after 25 years of uh, military experience within the RAF, serving all over the world, he's been a senior coach developer within British Canoeing and British Sailing. Uh, the last couple of years, he's been working with the likes of UK Sport as leadership development consultant. And more importantly, on top of all of that, for the last three years, he's been our senior consultant here at Pronoctive. So it's, uh, it's great to have him as a wealth of experience coming in. So to get get it all started, then Jane, um, you're the you're the psychologist in this, but you're also a human being. Um, how are you adjusting, adapting to the times right now? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I'm fortunate that I work from home most of the time anyway, Phil. Apart from when I'm, I'm going into client organisations to visit, so. I already have a structure of delivering my coaching online and, you know, working from here. So I think rather than adjusting to working from home, I'm now adjusting to people being around me <laughs> while I'm working. And, you know, this is my space, which I'm a bit um, territorial about. So I'm, I'm having to relax a little bit around that and recognise we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We're all in the same situation. So just to make the best of it, but not to stress about it either. Yeah, I think what, what come, what's come across when I'm chatting to my clients is the fact that everybody's circumstances are different. So there are some obviously still having to go to work. Um, there's some now adapting to working from home. Some people I know that they can't work from home. They don't have the infrastructure in place. So that's going to be really, really frustrating. What about yourself, Nate? How are you, how are you adapting and how are you finding it? Well, I, as we know, Phil, I spend a lot of time working from home. So a bit like Jane, really, just uh, other people around. Uh, it's a bit different, but uh, I think the routine's changed a bit, and it's um, just fitting stuff in and, and keeping yourself busy because you can't nip out really. It's sort of, I guess, not socially appropriate at the moment. Um, so spending my time, <clears throat> I guess, being busy, uh, getting some training in, getting some work in, you know, eating, a bit of socialising with the people in the in the house as well. So yeah, it's different, but quite similar as well. Just when you're saying about eating, though, that's the problem. You know, I think a lot of people are getting in touch with me and saying, how can I stop eating so much now that I'm working at home? Because that's actually part of the challenge is my routine. You know, where I was healthy eating, I was in a, a, a routine. Now I'm at home. I'm going in and out of the kitchen all the time and I'm finding myself snacking. So these are real challenges. This is This is real, isn't it, for us? We're not very good, I don't think, as human beings with temptation, are we? Um, and I think it's 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 also the the backside of that is the the rules and regulations, and and you can't help looking at some of the the pictures over the weekend where people were just disregarding the rules and guidance and regulations because it was almost like a last hurrah, wasn't it? You know, right? We know this lockdown's coming. Let's go and let's go and make the most of it um, before this potential twelve week lockdown. Is there is there any challenges you're seeing around that in the workplace, Jane? Is there any conversations happening regarding, you know, processes and procedures and things like that? Yeah, I think a lot of people are in still in that transition mode. So a lot of a lot of my key clients and stakeholders are HR directors, L and D um directors and heads of, of different business departments. So what the challenges are is who's in work, who's not in work, um, what's class as essential. Of course, because, you know, I, I see the people who are um, in the chat box now, a lot of NHS staff, um, people who are in leadership roles as well. So people are looking to them, aren't they, to, for guidance and um, in, in instruction. So I think a lot of people are still seeing how this is all settling. Who's doing what? What's the infrastructure like? How are we going to make this work? And, yeah. I'm hoping that give it another week, we'll all settle down a little bit and we get a little bit more clarity about, right, how can I actually work now in these circumstances? How can I be productive? Don't think we're quite there yet. 
No, I, and I think there's a there's a principle there around understanding the environment you're in, isn't it? It's adjusting to that. So the, the term you were saying there about settling down into a routine, there's there's an element of trying things out that are going to work for you and are not going to work for you. Um, and I see this. There's actually some people on the call that I'm familiar with that that work from home regularly. Um, and there's definitely an element around self-discipline. Um, but self-discipline comes in, in many guises. So you can overwork. You can be access, accessible for 16, 17 hours a day now because you've got access to it. Um, and also you've got to find that time for yourself to have your balance, haven't you? So what do you think, Jane, in terms of a time frame is, is normal if there's such a thing regarding how long it takes people to settle down into a routine, do you think? Well, I mean, obviously we're all different, aren't we? And so we've all got different um, levels of of motivation and discipline. So this presents itself in terms of, you know, what do I need to be doing to stay healthy overall? So um, do I take my foot off a little bit and say, right, if I can be somehow productive and somewhat productive and continue to be creating some output, that's good enough. Maybe I'm not going to be able to do what I was doing before. Um, probably a good place to start is to reflect on what's my essential KPIs or outputs? What do I really need to be doing to tick along, whether that is somebody who's self-employed or part of a team? What's the minimum requirement? Because if we start there and each of us are different in terms of, you know, what we'd be prepared to do, what we can do. A lot of people are now having to homeschool their kids at the same time as, as getting their work done. So there's a lot of challenges and everybody's in a different situation. Yeah, what's the what's the minimum requirements that I need on a day-to-day -day basis to keep ticking along? What's expected of me? Um, what am I happy with myself? And using that as a baseline, because I think if we've got a baseline, we can get rid of some of that extra pressure and guilt that we would typically have in a normal scenario. We're not in a normal scenario, are we? This is not typical times. So I think we have to be a, a little bit... Um, a bit kind of relaxed with ourselves, giving ourselves permission to take our foot off and think, right, what do I need to do? Right, let's get that into some sort of structure first and see how that pans out over the next few weeks. Yeah, that that really resonates with me. We we work off an acronym with a lot of our elite sports stars and the, the executive leaders that we work with in terms of when you're under the cosh and you're under stress, and obviously this is a different form of stress and pressure, the first things you have to do is recognize the situation you're in, really. You know, increase your level of situational awareness. And you can't do that if you keep plodding on. You then have to assess the information that's presenting itself. So there's a bit of push and pull there to come and get the information you require. And once you've got that information, then prioritize and just chip away at your first two or three priorities so you can actually feel like you're making progress. I think sometimes you try and absorb it all. We naturally got an instinct as a human being to um, have, have catastrophic thinking. We always think worst case scenario around that freeze, fight and flight. So is, is that a fair point, Jane? Does that tie into that? Well, absolutely. <laughs> I've been there myself. You know, your first instinct is, oh, no. I mean, I see, see that there's a lot of people who are self-employed coaches in, in the chat there and um, people from different backgrounds. Sometimes our first instinct is, oh, this is all just going to go to pot. And it's fear, isn't it? We get overwhelmed. We feel like we don't know what's the first thing we can we can do, what we should be doing. Um, and there is an element of despair, actually. Even if you're in an organisation, you know, you've got people, heads of HR, HR directors joining us today. It's like, this is all on me. This is my responsibility. And yet we have to really be careful to step into what we can control. There's so much at the moment that we can't control. And if we are spending even one minute focusing on things that are out of our control, it's just a complete waste of our energy. Um, not only can we not control it, we feel bad then for thinking about it. And it's, it's distracting us, Phil. It's distracting us from where we should be putting our attention and thinking about, right, what can I control? Um, I mean, over the last week, I've been working with a lot of people really to go back to basics and think, let's just get that, you know, a, a circle of influence drawn on a piece of paper. Let's write it down. 
if I was to draw a big circle and write inside the circle all of the things that I can influence and that I've got a level of control over and outside the circle, anything that's beyond what I can influence or do anything about, let's focus on the on the inside my influence and then maybe even put a little red line underneath or, or a green tick next to things that I can do straight away without any help. Then maybe prioritise with a, another colour underneath or another tick next to what do I need help with? Who can I ask for help with these other things? And start actually just splitting everything up into manageable priorities because that gives us that sense of control back and that sense of, right, okay, I know what I'm doing here. I can do this. I've been doing it myself even. Yeah, and I think that's that's how we get that clarity of clarity of purpose and clarity of um, the situation, isn't it? And I think I really like the bit where you were talking about, you know, writing things down. Now, there's some of us that are predisposed to writing lists, to do lists. You know, we'll we'll cross them off as we go. And there's other people that sort of like that's like, no, I, I want some freedom. You know, I want it to be in my head. I think for both both sort of sides of the continuum, if you like, if you're writing things down, you're getting it getting it off your chest, getting it out of your head and onto paper, and then you can work more logically around it. And I think this is where a lot of the people I'm working with are a little bit, um, you know, over, over, overstimulated, if you like, and, and their brains sort of gone under a mile an hour. If you've got it in paper, like you said, and whatever your own personal process is, what can I actually physically do something about? You know, who can help me and support that? And then the next step is going and doing it because I think there's a next step and a next worry, and it's probably not the best time for, for this now, is procrastination around, I've got this list, this list is now huge, it's easier for me to bury my head in the sand and not do anything about it, rather than taking practical steps to move forward. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things you're saying there, and just reminded me of, I mean, you know, from a psychological point of view, what happens is when we perceive that we've got lots of stuff going on and we've got lots to do, it feels very overwhelming. And we all know this, we've all experienced this. When we actually make a list and we can see it in front of us, it, it feels very different because when it's just in our head, we, we can't see it all. It just feels heavy. When we put it on a list, we're like, oh, okay. Yes, there are some challenging things there. Now I can see it. It's not a feeling anymore. It's action, right? And action gives us a sense of control. We might not be able to tick everything off that list. And you're right, we have to be really careful not to, to have ever-growing lists that overwhelm us. But now we can see it. We can think, right, how do I split this up? What can I delegate? What is important and urgent that only I can do? Um, what bits of this can somebody else help me with? Who do I need to talk to? Um, for many people, they may have a coach. They may have somebody who they can reach out to, a mentor, um, a leader who they trust. This is the time to, to be leveraging your networks and talking to people and sharing some of the challenges that you're experiencing so it gets it out of here and into some sort of structure. There was a lot of things going through my mind as you were chatting there. One is one is leadership as well. So what I'm what I'm seeing, I'm seeing some great examples of really effective leadership, and I think there's a few leaders like rabbits in the headlight, you know, in terms of frozen a little bit. And I think the, you know the the conversations we're having, Jane, if I can run it by you, is what you can't do right now is nothing. You you can't wait for that certainty to come of talking about you know job security, wage security, family security. But what you can do, and it's definitely inside that circle of influence is, is show your people that you care you know and you understand and you're going it through together and picking that phone up and having effective conversations is that something you would encourage absolutely you know if your people feel valued and listened to they're going to go the extra mile aren't they they're going to stick with you and it's a bit like shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted sort of thing you know a lot of people a lot of organizations are now looking and thinking oh hmm where are all our people? You know, the day they announced that people could um, get their their salary or their wages and there would be contingencies in place. I know a client of mine said 40 people rang in sick the next morning. And, you know, you have to reflect and think, well, what is it? Is that fear? Are people trying to protect their families? Is it what's in it for me? And as the leader or as somebody who's got a team, 
We just need to be so careful that we are keeping the human element in this crisis situation, keeping in touch with people, using our really good coaching skills. So rather than picking up the phone and saying, have you done this yet? Um, where's the project? I'm looking for something online. Take the time. You know, how's it going? What are your challenges today? Um, what's your biggest concern at the moment? And really taking the time to listen and acknowledge where people are before we go on as business as usual. And for a lot of leaders, it feels like time is critical. They haven't got time to be having nicey-nice conversations with people. What I'd say, Phil, is now is the time. Take five minutes, that's all it needs, at the top of your call or your meeting to really connect with people and not just connect in the term of finding out where they are with their workload, where they are as a human being, connecting, asking questions to really understand where they're up to, not just what help they need with their tasks, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and again, there's, there's an adage that comes to mind here. I think in this these times, I think you need to ask a question before you make a statement because you don't know what the other person's going through. You don't know what their personal circumstances are. You don't know what the challenges are. And that ties in really nicely with one of the questions we had uh, when we're working remotely and we're managing and leading people remotely. You know, how do you effectively sort of breed uh, an environment of accountability? And I think you've almost already answered that, Jane. It's around about having that balance, isn't it? Of course, they've got to be accountable. Of course, they've got to get their work done. But it's almost making it realistic and having those good conversations and realistic goals and timeframes, etc. Yeah. Um, was there anything else you'd add to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what what I'm thinking about is setting the scene in a really clear way to start with. So when people are having either virtual calls, phone conference calls with their teams, now is the time to be contracting with them. And when I say contracting, I don't necessarily mean, you know, you have to do this and I have to do that. Yes, that's part of it. But it's about contracting. How are we going to support each other? And what are our rules of engagement in this current situation? So, for example, it might be, okay, what do we need from each other to get through? And giving people a voice to say what they need, because everybody in your team is different. Everybody needs something different and you don't have to guarantee that you can give it to them, but by giving them the opportunity to share it and hear them, at least you get more clarity about um, the differences within your, your team, within your people. So there's something there about, okay, this is what we're faced with. These are the things we really need to be getting done. What do you think? How should we be going about this? What are your ideas? What have I missed? You know, and say what you want about the leadership of, of our government at the moment. Um, one of the things that really strikes me, which has been very positive, is the fact that there is an ongoing um, update and an ongoing change of instructions. And that's what good leadership looks like. It's not about having all the answers and knowing how to do it all in one go. It's about saying, right, now we know that that's not working. Let's try this. Let's do it together. Um, what might our challenges be? What help do we need? And every time you're bringing in something that needs to flex, getting the team to tell you what they think the challenges might be, what ideas they might have, and just keeping that engagement going, that to me would be really critical. Yeah, and I think it, it, I think what we from you know there's a few guys actually I believe are ex-military and I think it's that principle of test and adjust. But you can only test something when you've actually started doing it, you know. So it's a case of of trying it, doing something rather than nothing, um, and getting some feedback on there. So there was a question in there from Dan. Now Dan works within the NHS and he's got questions around supporting his colleagues within OD that are working remotely, but also wanting to support the frontline staff. Now I think if you've got um, if you've got a communication line in there. I think the, the initial offering is is, is is the most important bit, isn't it? We are here to support you. Let us let us know and not sort of forcing yourself upon them um, because obviously you might actually become more of a hindrance. Uh, but empowering them to make the decision and, and, and sometimes that statement of letting them know you are there to support them is a fantastic first step. And they might not need you now, you know, basically week three, week four, you know, day two of a, or day three of a lockdown. Um, but they may well need you in four weeks' time when they're really, really tired and they want to know where they can go to, to, to speak to somebody outside of their normal working environment. 
yeah one of the things i'm just thinking of there as well phil you know in a business as usual environment we're always talking about getting feedback aren't we and giving feedback because it's so critical to to elevating our impact and um understanding where we are with our teams one of the things in this kind of situation would be to be inviting feedback on a regular basis from your team or from your people or from your colleagues so rather than saying what feedback do you have for me because people tend to say oh no everything's fine they don't give feedback. It's not typically our culture, especially when we're under pressure, especially now because people will be thinking, oh, I'm not going to bother. What's the point? No point saying anything. So actually, if you really want to know what your team are thinking, experiencing and their challenges, it would be to ask that really in a very specific way. What's one thing I could do even better to be supporting you? When we ask for one thing, it gives people permission to give one thing, but also the way we frame it, that could make it even better. It takes away the fear that they're saying something's wrong. So by inviting them, what's one thing I could do even better to support you? Or what's one thing we could do better as a team? What's one thing um, you need from me more than you've had so far? It just frames it in a very different way, but it, it, it encourages that engagement. Yeah, and it ties in with a really good comment with Sally there. It occurs to me that pace is really important during this time. And that's what you're doing there. You're being specific on you. It's a very simple question, straight to the point, And then you're going to get an answer. You're going to engage in that answer. And it might well be not now, or well, actually it'll be this. And then you can work off that, can't you, and use your best practice. So that ties in quite nicely with that. Um, go on, go on, Jane. All I was going to say is, you know, even if people haven't got anything, what you've done is by asking that question, no, we'll not not get too technical about it all, but if you're thinking of it from a neuroscience point of view, when when you ask somebody an open question like that, that activates their neural networks where they're secreting um, connection hormone, you know, they're getting a surge of oxytocin, they're feeling connected to you, they're feeling trusted and a, a, a heightened state of trust, whether they've got something or not becomes irrelevant because what you've done by just asking that question is that you have reconnected with that person and they'll know that when the time's right, they can then pick up the phone and say, you know, when you said there was something you could do even better, well, actually there is. So don't underestimate the power of even asking the questions. Yeah, and, and I, th I think what you're talking about there really is that just that ability to have some emotional support, isn't it? And from a personal perspective, I was chatting actually to Nathan about this yesterday, is that over the last couple of weeks, you know, and we're all at this, you know, we're all professionals, we're busy, we wake up and we, you know, I've got to send this email, I've got to get to that meeting, I need to get to, get to there, I need to travel, and we're 100 mile an hour. I certainly, I personally have recalibrated with my family. And what I mean by that is, it's the first thing that crosses my mind in the morning now is, how's my mum? You know, how's my dad? How, what time am I going to call them today? You know, how am I fitting my work in around that call rather than fitting that call in around my work? Mm. And I think it's, it, it certainly has really dawned on me in terms of you having to be there and it might be through hopelessness because my family are 300 miles away you know and I can't go anywhere I'm locked down but what I can do within my circle of influence circle of control is do the emotional support element of it because it's really really important isn't it yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, okay. oh. um, sorry Phil I just noticed Tina had just asked about and I was just talking about feedback and she was just saying what if you don't see any change after feedback's given which is a really good question I think there's, there's, that's the, that's kind of the entry level of engagement, isn't it? It's about offering feedback or, or receiving it. But what we need to be also thinking about is how do we engage our emotional intelligence at this critical time around being assertive and being able to say to somebody in an assertive, non-confrontational uh, and non-aggressive way, something like, when you asked me for feedback, I gave it to you and yet I've noticed that nothing's changed and I'm wondering if I could have given you that feedback in a different way that would have made more impact or I'm wondering um, if there's a barrier to it's you know it's about addressing it and being assertive as much as we possibly can and you know, we're all stepping up to the plate here we have to be brave there's a lot of courageous conversations need to be taking place here because if you've got somebody in your team who wasn't performing already, there were already a challenge in your team. What now? 
now it's a remote conversation, isn't it? So there's something about this assertiveness. And it might be that um, we could look at sharing some resources around how to be assertive or even creating a webinar around assertive conversations. I think that's on your list, isn't it, Phil, around that, you know, how to have difficult conversations when people are remote. Yeah, and, and, and you've hit the nail on the head again. Yeah, that, it comes back to accountability, doesn't it? And, and we talk a lot at Pronoctus around engaging in, in different conversations, just having a different conversation to get a different outcome. And you've got to have accountability in there. If there's no accountability, you aren't going to get any change. And sometimes as a coach, you've got to create something called a bit of directive learning where you, you can say, well, maybe you should go and do this now. Try it for a week and we'll catch back up. And does this time work for you? And so there's actually a deadline in place. I think sometimes, um, and I'll bring Nathan on this point, um, around sometimes we just create the learning environment and the thought pattern and then leave them to it. And they're not always the best sort of engage and learn. Nate, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, thanks, Phil. Um, I think the, the environment we set is really key. And I think just picking up on some of the information both of you have shared, is, you know, a lot of that comes back to the environment and how we set the environment and how we create that, particularly on an online platform, I guess, now when we're speaking remotely. And that's that's quite a big challenge for us. Um, so I, I can really echo uh, picking up on Jane's words and what she's been saying and some of the questions about <clears throat> actually focus on self, get yourself sorted so you've got a good circle of influence and then we can we can look outwards and start to positively influence with our language and people that we're, we're connecting with and we can show them compassion, show them time. And I think that for me at this time is, is really connecting with a human being first and just creating that open environment where we can have a conversation. Does that sort of make some sense, Bill? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've literally the last three weeks when, when I was on site with clients, we were having conversations around actually starting that level of accountability, even just down to a behavior that was observed that wasn't acceptable in the office. You know, we were having to have conversations around, well, how do I approach that? I know. And what, what if HR say this? And what, well, if you just say, well, actually, that's not acceptable. It's not aligned with what we're trying to achieve here. No HR profession in the world, unless you do it, you know, in a negative context in terms of going overboard, no HR profession is going to call you up on that. In fact, they, the, the really good ones actively encourage it because that's how you have your checks and balances, isn't it? Have you come across any of that, Jane, at all in terms of people being afraid to, to engage in, in accountability and conversations? Because obviously that's going to, that's going to cause a bigger problem, as you say, with people remote working now. You know, we're all just trying to understand what the boundaries are, aren't we? Um, given that there's so much change at the moment and it feels like there's a real need for, for compassion and um, patience, given that people are in a bit of an upheaval. And, and yet there still needs to be accountability. People are still, if they are working from home, they're still getting paid to do a job. So this is where it's going to be really, really important to set those standards from the beginning. And I can't overstress how important it is to be collectively making agreements. I mean, if you can get all of your team or the main people you work with on one call, ideally a video call where you can see each other, where you are coming up with a joint contract joint not where you're leading it and you're trying to get people to um to say what you want them to say but really where everybody's bought into it because that is the best way to hold people accountable because then you say uh all right your blogs you know last week when we were agreeing on this that we would be checking in twice a week that we would be doing da -da 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 -da. all of the things we agreed as a team i'm noticing that that's not happening what support do you need so really, it's it's enabling us to hold people to account because they have come up with the ideas in the first place. They've said they wanted it. They've agreed to it. And so it makes it much easier for us to say, look, this is what we said we were going to do and it's not happening. Why is that? Now, it could be, the, you know, whatever. They're not well. So I mean, their family is, has become ill and whatever. But we still have to have that accountability conversation. It needs to be based on something. This is the critical thing. And, I, you know, going back to some of the questions that we're seeing, it's around 
setting the scene, making yourself visible. Kate's talking about making herself visible. Um, that really feels like the foundation on which to build everything. We're only a couple of weeks in here. You don't have to have it all sussed so far. You don't have to have it all sorted out. You can reflect and think, right, going forward, what would this look like if I was getting it right or if the team were cohesive and getting it right? What else can I be doing? Because you don't have to have it all sussed yet. I think I think to um, Kate's question there about making yourself visible without adding time-related stress, I think it's, like, it's, it's about creating options and give people the power and the choice, isn't it? So we're very... We're very good, you know, as trainers and consultants of doing the face-to-face -face stuff. But we tend to avoid things like this, like using technology. I mean, we're, we're literally recording this. I'll edit it later on. It'll be going out on an email. If any of you think your friends will benefit from, forward it on. You know, we might be able to upload it to the website. So then it's constantly out there. So it's not a one-hit wonder. Um, so sometimes you can sit down and, and, and talk around the theme as a team. Uh, and then it's just a case of dropping an email or notification or something on the internet of letting people know it's out there. Mm -hmm. What what you got me thinking about Jane there was the barrier. What 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 stops and what encourages people to have that difficult conversation? And what I mean by that is some people naturally avoid conflict. They don't like it. They're uncomfortable. They think it's an unnecessary evil. Um, they're, they're normally seen as the nice person. You know, they're very amenable. They're likable. But when you're in a management position, you have to you have to step into that area in a position that's comfortable with you and your personality. So, you know, in terms of that dial, don't go from zero to 10, just sometimes a crank from one to two to allow that, that, that difficult conversation um, to happen. I did that because if you're framing it a difficult conversation, it's going to be a difficult conversation. Why don't we call it a productive conversation, you know, and frame it in your own mindset like that. And what I got thinking about was the people at the other end, the ones who like the difficult conversations, you know, that, that maybe at this point could be, uh, micromanaging, uh, having difficult conversations too often where the staff are starting to get a bit disengaged. So so I'm, I'm thinking about that initial move into that conversation and the barriers to it. Oh, yeah. You've, I mean, you've touched on a few things there and I'm thinking, all right, come on, let's get into some psychological theories here. Um, one of the things I would say is just, just on a high level to start with, if you find yourself micromanaging, or you might not think you are, but people are telling you you are, it's a very natural um, stress response, isn't it, to control as much as we can. What we also know is that that disempowers people. They're not going to feel trusted. They're not going to step up, and they're not going to take responsibility if actually the responsibility always ends up on your shoulders. So now is a time to trust people as much as you possibly can. You've got to make the decision about you know whether that trust is appropriate depends on how people have been performing up to this point um but just going back to this having having challenging conversations or productive conversations what i'm noticing about the people who are on the call we've got people in the nhs we've got coaches we've got people who um hr directors we've got people people right these people do their job because they like people and they're good with people as a general rule. So what tends to happen is in my 20 years of experience of dealing with, with leaders, managers and people in organisations, what I've found out is that when somebody likes helping people, sometimes, not always, it can become very difficult to say no, it can be difficult to have courageous conversations because of the fear of having somebody feel unsettled or like they think you're criticizing them and you don't want to go there. So when I'm working with my clients, the first thing we do is to think about what the rules are about why I don't have those conversations in the first place. Quite often it's about, I don't want to upset somebody. Okay. But that's not true. That's what we tell ourselves is the reason. The real reason is we don't want to feel judged. Okay. We don't want to be judged that we are capable of upsetting somebody. Actually, it doesn't matter if we upset them. Um, it's about it's about us, okay? But our brain tells us it's about not upsetting the other person. So we have to go back to thinking about what where's that value coming from? So for example, if I'm a if I'm somebody who really likes to support others, I'm a bit of a people pleaser, 
I want people to feel empowered and, and I want them to like me as well. I want them to respect me. It's going to be very hard if then we're having a conversation that they go away with less respect for me or that there's an argument. So it's about reframing it before we go in. Instead of how am I going to tell this person off, it's how am I going to enable this person to be better at what they do so that they've got a better chance of being successful. How am I going to get this across to them so that they see it as a gift rather than a challenge? And this all comes with the language we use. So again, if we're being assertive, it might not be you're not doing this or there's a problem. It might be just I've noticed that this is the challenge and this is some of, some of the barriers that I've noticed. What support might you need? What do you think's going well? What do you think the barriers are? Quite often, people know themselves and they come up with the problems themselves before we've even asked them. So by saying, how do you think it's going? They'll probably say to you, I'm not doing very well here. I'm not managing very well. I need help, which gives you your in. Does that, yeah. does that make sense, Phil? Yeah, no, it does. And, and, and I'd add to that, that I think that's probably the best starting point. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you, you're not going to burn any bridges. You're not going to annoy people. But what it does give you the flexibility to, to go, you know, 100% coaching mode then, if you like. Or, let's be honest, there's a time and a place where you have to just tell people. Yeah. You know, you have to spell it out black and white because some people do find it difficult to read between the lines. They can't maybe assimilate the information. They'd rather just tell me what you want. You know, if, if you want me to do A, B, and C, tell me what A, B, and C is, and I'll get on with it. And I think that's all about understanding the person in front of you of what works best for them. If you go in being direct from the start, you can lose them and disengage them. If you're a little bit too soft, you can lose them. But if you start on that level playing field, which you really well sort of described there, I think mm -hmm. it gives you the ability to move either direction. Mm. Is that something you'd agree with? Absolutely. Comes down to that, that self-awareness, doesn't it? And how aware we are of of our own value as well so if we know that we are valuable and that we've got we're a supportive person that we generally have the right intention it allows us for those times when we do need to step out of our comfort zone if you've got a good relationship with your team they're not going to judge you in a difficult scenario when you say to them look guys i need you to be doing this this is what it looks like this is what we have to do now tell me who wants to do which thing um, so you're still giving them some autonomy, but when it comes to it, it's the relationship that's going to allow you to, to speak really directly. And, yeah, and, it, and it's having the flexibility of your language as well, isn't it? I mean, it's always key, and I always found it beneficial of using things in linguistics like double binds. So, you know, if, if I had, um, let's call them a, a problem member of staff that we need to work with, and I wanted certainly working remotely, I'd want to have a conversation with them ensure they've got clarity on what's expected of them, get them to replay back to me that what they fully understand so there's no ambiguity. And I put a time frame on it. So rather than if it's a big project, let's catch up in a week. Let's catch up again this afternoon. You know, and then you can use the linguistic skills like a double bind. Well, should we catch up at 2 p.m. or 4 p.m. this afternoon? So you're giving them the illusion of choice. Well, they're always going to say 4 o'clock every single time because everybody's going to want more time. But still, at the end of that day, you can check, make sure they haven't drifted, make sure things are moving on nicely. It'll calm you down by the end of the day, you know, but then they've made the decision of when they want to check back in with you. And then all of a sudden, as we're starting to get progress, it could be once a day, every other day, once a week, once we start building that momentum. Um, but we, we seem to have um, an inability to do that sometimes because the, it's probably the fear of micromanaging, isn't it? Well, it is. Some people need to be micromanaged, and I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful way. Some people like that kind of input and that constant feedback, and they thrive in that environment. Other people don't. So again, it's about knowing your team members and asking them, during this time, how would you like me to be managing you? Kate's just put a comment in there, you know, find that managers like to, to follow up and check in I think that's what you mean and um, you know follow up and check in with people sometimes that's for our benefit because we're frightened to to lose our grip on something um, and sometimes it's because we know that that person really needs that so just check in with yourself get some clarity around why do I do that with that particular person is that beneficial for them do I need to have a conversation with them and just check with them 
that that style is going to work now they're at home or whatever the situation is um and just be checking in with people if you can best you can and rewrite the rules a little bit you might just have a, a temporary um system of working while people aren't you know in the same office yeah, I think as well, people have this bias towards um, creating 30 and 60 minute meetings, what well, we've done here actually, and we've had an hour. So uh, I won't dig myself into too much of the whole that one, but it doesn't have to be a big meeting. It could be a five minute telephone conversation, right? How are you getting on? What stage you at? Oh, that's brilliant. Do you need anything from me? Great. We're done. Right. Let's catch up again tomorrow. You know, just for that assurance, because it's it's very difficult if people haven't been working or making progress on something to give you the the information you require or the, 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 the information you require to be confident in what they're doing. So I think sometimes we stop ourselves from having the accountability with others for our own main drivers to appease ourselves. But um, Nate, have you got anything else? Just to, is there any sort of thoughts of or pearls of wisdom in there? Yeah, probably going back a little bit, a couple of points that I've picked out. Jane, I guess, sort of the way I like to do my business is is one of working with people. He's just just part of that contract. Is sort of how do you want challenging and how do you want supporting. So if I'm highly challenging i'll be highly supportive as well um and just just understanding what might, that might be like uh, just another point i, I did jumped out of me it's quite similar to jane's possibly is is when we've got that challenge from having that we know we're going to have this difficult conversation as we call it it's just putting that neutrality on it and i always like to go back i have observed this whatever this is what does that mean which just takes that, makes that completely neutral. You're not making a judgment. You're just saying this, this is what I've seen or heard, um, which allows them just to open that up and explore as you would explore as a coach. So I think that's sort of my two top tips from what I've picked up. But I've been busy reading all of the, all the comments, to be honest. Based on what you're saying there, Nathan, it's really important because people aren't always aware of how they're coming across and, and, they don't hear it themselves so when we reflect back to them well what I'm hearing you say is you don't want to do that task they might be oh no that's not what I mean I mean this so just by having that opportunity to reflect back what we see and hear gives people the opportunity to see it for themselves or to also clarify what they what they really mean great stuff thanks for that both um i'm going to jump to one of dan's questions a little bit earlier on he said um, what would be great was a suite of self-check questions i actually think there's been quite a lot of that style of sort of um content already added but just in summary what what's some of your core self-check questions jane if you're just off the top of the head there yeah sure so number one would be <clears throat> what can i control What's with what's within my control? What's out of my control? Who can help me? What do I need help with? What's my my baseline um, target? So what do I really need to get done this week, today, over the next couple of days? Just to have small achievable goals. You know, we're we're all in this together. I think that's one of the things that we can remember as well, and it gives us a bit of a ticket to get things wrong and to need to flex and just to be saying to people, look, I'm also just finding my way here. Um, so one of the questions or one of the check-ins might be, how can I do more to support you? That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, right? You're not taking on more tasks by asking somebody that, but it's more about opening up to, for them to articulate what they need. And then you might buddy them up with somebody else or you might, ask them who would they get that support from you're not necessarily saying you're going to do it but it might be what support do you need so who can help me what can i control what's my baseline what would that look like what are our agreements as a team what's our operating agreement we could call it you know covid19 operational teamwork or something it's a temporary thing where we're saying look this is not business as usual this is how we're going to operate. This is what we agree upon. And I'm not ex-military like some of you guys are. But I guess, you know, if you're in some sort of um, war environment where you're on the a battlefield or you're under threat and pressure, it's survival mode. It's about getting done what needs to be done to reduce the impact. 
So it's trying to keep that core service going as much as possible. Everything else is just a bonus, isn't it? I think so. And there's a bit that fell out there, which is probably, you know, if, if there's appetite from the guys, it is around about the importance of routine, but also having a flexible routine, not a fixed one. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big self-check questions I tend to ask myself, or I certainly have it in the forefront of my mind when I'm coaching, is, is this true? So is, is my perception of what's going on right now true? And what I mean by that is, are we catastrophizing? Um, am I mind-reading what I think our staff are doing? Um, do I think they need me at the moment, or am I just creating a problem? Um, and also, is what they're saying true? So I'll ask creative questions around trying to discover you know, the, the way they've sort of distorted potentially some information. Um, is that something you've utilized in the past? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just thinking there about how we we can all sometimes fall into a little bit of a victim um, state as well. You know, when we're under pressure, we've got a lot on our shoulders. Before we've written everything down, it's still all in here. It's all jumbled around. It feels very overwhelming. And then add in the fact that we're all people, people. And some of us might go that extra mile to please others. Uh, that might be a a, a large driver of our behavior and, and before you've realized there's a whole cocktail there of pressure where I'm saying to myself look how hard I'm working nobody appreciates me and this is just too much and we all I mean we all do it don't we whether it's at home you know nobody appreciates my cooking uh, right through to in my team you know I'm doing so much for everybody and they're just mourning all the time just taking a step back exactly what you're saying not necessarily about seeing it and feeling it for what you think it is but looking for the evidence what in this am I actually creating for myself because I feel like I'm being helpful because I've rang 10 people today to ask them what they're doing they think I'm micromanaging them they're all grumbling and and chuntering away about me but I feel like I've gone out my way to help them but nobody's happy right? They're dissatisfied and I'm dissatisfied because there hasn't been that communication about what is it that is going to help in this scenario. Because as a people pleaser, if you know they don't want you to ring them 10 times a day, it gives you permission. They don't want me to. And because I want to help them and support them, I'm not going to do that. So communication is really critical. Yeah, it's vital, isn't it? And there's a really good question here from Tina, actually, a little bit earlier on. So how do you change the views to call coaching a nice-to-have or from a coach to have to, 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 um, to prioritise it at this moment? And, and for me, it's, it's, it's a massive opportunity right now. We, we've had conversations the last few weeks around this, Jane, that mm-hmm. a lot of people are going through a lot of stuff. And it's one of the main drivers we've put this webinar on is that, you know, really good, effective coaches can really help and support people right now. Um, sometimes within organizations they don't quite get it and I think it's normally from the top because they they don't they, they see having a coach as a weakness where yeah. actually they're really forward-thinking ones have all got coaches and they wouldn't go anywhere without them um, do you have any tips there for, for Tina and maybe some of the other guys that are trying to drive sort of a coaching culture within an organization yeah definitely I mean you know we could we've all had um exposure haven't we to coaching structure we've got you know quite a lot of you whether you are professional coaches whether you've done official training or whether you're using it in your role you know going back to some fundamentals it can't be too simple going back to things like your grow model and having conversations around even what is it you want how will you know when you get there how far along are you from that now? You know, just using those very simplistic structures to our conversations to empower people to open up, but also for us to really get underneath. I like to describe that as double clicking, like you do on your mouse. When somebody tells us something, we need to be double clicking it, just getting underneath it. What does that mean for you? What would happen if that's not addressed? How can I support you? Or what support do you need? Just going back to those really nice open questions, the TED questions, which is tell me, tell me more about it, um, explain for me what the impact of that is, and D for describe. So it's T-E-D, tell me, explain, describe. Describe the challenges at the moment. Tell me more about that. Explain what you've done so far and then help me understand. And it's just about opening it up and a bit like that question funnel opening it up really broad to start with where we're asking open questions and then 
funneling it down. So my understanding is, is that right? Is that what you need? How do I do it? How do I go about it? And really taking those conversations through that process. So coaching, fundamental, isn't it? In, in these challenging times. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I think it is fundamental f- for the ones that get it. And I think what tends to happen is a lot of people struggle to get in the room to have that conversation. So I think the opportunities now are to plug in with the support networks. So make sure you're speaking to the HR director and saying, don't forget, I'm here. If any of your exec team are struggling, you know, the next newsletter goes out, make sure you've got an article. In fact, you have drafted it, you know, reach out using a personal phone number, using my email address. Let's get me on the webinar. You know, let's, let's do whatever I can to gain exposure because all it takes is for that one person to put their hands up and say, I need a little bit of help. I'm just a little bit burnt out or overloaded. Um, I don't feel I need to see a therapist. I just want to speak to an internal coach that gets the business. There's your opportunity. And I think once you get through the door once, I think you know, you're pushing on an open door then and then they'll all, all communicate to one another. So it's, yeah. it's capitalizing on it and making sure you're being seen because you, there's still so many good coaches I know, but nobody knows about them. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit, you've got, to, you've got to fight your own corner a little bit and make sure that through all the noise, your offering is being presented in the right light at the right time, in the right context. It's a golden opportunity because we know how powerful coaching is in terms of helping people to reach their goals and their objectives and get clarity and, and identify their strengths. This now more than ever, we need to be doing that. So it's a great opportunity to step up, isn't it? And to be offering that kind of support. And also, you know, not to not to be having a bit of a, a plug here, but of course, if you haven't got internal people um, and you need good coaches, there are a lot of us out there. There are a lot of people, you know, use your network, make sure that you're tapping into expertise because the nice thing about coaching, it, it does feel very different from traditional therapy because it's about how we're going to get there. It's not about the, the problem necessarily. It's about how are we getting there? What's the strategy? How are we going to implement it? How can we um, support each other? So it's very positive. It's, it's a very positive um, vehicle to help people to get to where they need to be, especially now. It, it's, it's everything we're talking about, though, coaching. It's about having that different style of conversation, for sure. There's another good question here regarding the NHS. So um, something that is striking me uh, from Kate, actually, um, as a challenge, particularly in the NHS, is accessibility to resources. Um, although we can offer all of the help we can, often folk are already on burnout, true story, um, and, and often see options of support as additional stress and time less, um, less well spent. Now, you've got a lot of experience in your Jane, and obviously without going into any exact details, but I know you get a lot of referrals from insurance companies of executives on burnout, don't you? And That's they right. may have gone through the likes of CBT for six months or other things, but then they come to you, they have a coaching, forward-facing, an explanation style of approach, and then they're back in work quite quickly, aren't they? So there's an opportunity again for coaching you to be right at the forefront of conversations, isn't there? It's shocking how many times people come and say, oh, I've had 20 sessions of CBT. CBT is an evidence-based therapy, you know, it does work for lots of people. And yet what I find is sometimes people actually just need the ingredients to move on. They're sick of talking about the problem. They want to work out what's the solution. And so taking a solution-focused approach to the next steps can feel very empowering for people. And, yeah, I mean, resources. We we want to build people's resilience, don't we? We want to give them access to to free resources as well, like mindfulness and um listening to TED Talks, just anything where people can engage with something that suits them, whether it's visually, um, auditory, something to read. And, you know, just going back actually to Lee's question about a book, Lee, I saw that you'd asked a question about what book would we necessarily recommend that helps with this sort of thing or with, with coaching in general. And I was thinking about, and Phil, you know, and I always go on about the, the chimp paradox because I use that so much in my coaching work. You know, people want an explanation. They don't want to ruminate on the problem. They want to know, why is this happening? What can I do to change it? What help do I need? How can you support me, really? So the chimp paradox is a really great one for people under pressure, stress and burnout because it helps them to understand 
this is normal. This is completely, everybody's experiencing it. Sally mentioned, and I think somebody else did as well, about the, the change curve. That's a resource showing people, look, this is natural human behavior that we're experiencing. <clears throat> this is documented. We've looked into this. This is what happens. And it's okay. It's about normalizing the abnormal, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And if uh, for me, um, I don't know if it's, again, something that I just lean towards, but I always try and look at a bit of perspective. So um, a few of our elite athletes have been reaching out, obviously, the last 24 hours, you can imagine. They, they've been on a four-year training cycle for the Olympics, and now it's going to be pushed back, you know, 12 months minimum, really. And some of them are at the end of their career. They're not sure if they've got another 12 months in them. And, they've, and what we're talking about there is sacrifice around wages, you know, careers, houses girlfriends not seeing the family at christmas because they they have to stay in bed with long socks drinking beetroot juice at midnight and, and honestly it gets down to that and all of a sudden now there may not be an end product of it but i think what's really important is perspective in times like this and um you know I, if my nan was still alive and she'd be sat there now or if she was sat on my shoulder she'd be like you guys don't know you're born you know you've got technology you've got education you've got netflix actually i put a post out today saying now is the time we have to have to actually netflix and chill a little bit and just slow, slow everything down and utilize technology. And for perspective, there's a great book um, called A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a really you know, short book, which works really well for me because I've got the attention span of a sparrow. But, um, but it's really, really good. And it, it's an easy read. Um, and I mean an easy read, and it's, it's written easy, but the messages are quite strong in there. So um, that's the one I would recommend. And mm -hmm. just to wrap up, um, I know there's, um, there's obviously a, a military theme that you've brought up there. Uh, Dan's asked about um, any specific military models of leadership. The things I, I talk around with my, my clients is, is leadership flexibility. So one tool doesn't solve every job. So you can talk about what we would call command and control, which is basically do what I say when I say it, otherwise somebody's going to get hurt. We should have adapted to that. When Boris Johnson was saying, you know, you are to stay in, please don't go out, cast command and control, we just didn't have the, the effects. So we've had to bring the big hammer in now and, and lock everyone down. The flip side of that is, is mission command, where it's the style of conversations we've had here. It's about empowering people. It's about, you know, giving them your intention. This is my intent. How are you going to do it? Great. Off you go. And empowering them to get things done. But I also think that, you know, that's, again, a continuum. And depending on the person in front of you, which is a human being, the situation they're finding themselves in, the one that's got the greatest flexibility will create the best outcome for all. Is that something you'd agree with, Jane? Absolutely. And just listening to you there, Phil, I'm just thinking, you know, if we're going to get all philosophical about it, everybody who's on this call has got an intention for themselves, for their teams, they're, they're here for a reason. Okay, so what I'm going to say to everybody to kind of close us a little bit here is to reflect on your intention. Why you came to this call in the first place is because you want to get better at what you do. You're searching for solutions for meaning and you're plugging into a network of people. So you're winning already. You're winning the fact that you're even here. Um, you're sharing your knowledge. You're sharing your expertise. Each one of you have wonderful strengths that you can tap into. If you do anything in this period, it's about reflecting around how might those strengths sometimes get a bit overplayed and how might I sometimes um, discourage people with those strengths as well? And just trying to get a little bit of perspective because it really is key. The fact, though, um, you know, that you are willing to learn and you're open to this, to, you know, not to sound corny, but really to give yourself a pat on the back already. We just need to carry on these kind of conversations, using your networks, not feeling like you're on your own. Um, and keep learning. We're all just learning really through this, aren't we? None of us have ever, ever experienced this before. So, yeah, I think that's probably just a bit of a reflection, really, as we're coming to an end. Yeah, great. Great. Thanks, Roger. It's a great way of summing up. Nathan, have you got anything to add before we, we close? Um, just probably going back to Dan's point is is really just focus on the who, um, which gives you a bit of the, the what and the how. Uh, and in coaching these days, it's just Right, back to the who. Who are you coaching at this time? Who are you working with? Uh, which affects, as I already said, the one how. Um, big push on that, really, which creates the, the ability for you. You've got to flex your style of leadership or how you coach accordingly. 
That's great. Uh, but more importantly, spread the word if you found it valuable and get other people in it. The more that, you know, we can we can touch and get into the community, we can help and support and get through, you know, in a more positive place, the back end of it. But Jane, Nate, thanks so much for your time. Bye yeah, now. Bye. Take care. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the P3 podcast. If you'd like to engage further with us, then please come and follow us across all social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, follow us on wherever you get your podcasts to be one of the first to be notified of any new content.